Welcome, Living Word Fellowship Church. Now, I, look, I, I, I want to say something. I pray that your hearts are ready. And it's not about me. Like, just, just scratch that all off. What I am starting to pray for, we pray as elders the same thing, we pray as a worship team the same way, is that it means nothing if your heart is not in it. Like, I could preach as hard as I can. I could even try to sweat today. I could try all the techniques I've learned in seminary. But it means absolutely nothing if you came with a hard heart. If you came with a heart that is not attentive to the, the Holy Spirit and his conviction. If, if you're going to quench the Holy Spirit. If, you're, if, you're, if, if your heart is not ready, we're missing. You can give us the best amens you got. You can even fall asleep and wake up on time and still hear the word if you needed to. But at the end of the day, if your heart is not here, you're going to walk out the same way you came in. That's number one. Number two, before I even continue, I want to make sure I give credit where credit is due. It's, and it's always due to the Holy Spirit, but sometimes the Holy Spirit sends people into your life to inspire something. Uh, and it was uh, a lady that we all know was experiencing her own pain, and I'll let her share her own testimony. So I won't ne necessarily tell you exactly what she was referring to, because I think in due time when she shares it, 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 it will mean more coming from the source. But I want to give credit where credit was due, because God sends people your way. And there was a lady who came into my house. Monica was baking her some goods to, to take care of the family, Miss Lucretia Lewis. And she said something to me. She said, sometimes God allows your Judases. And I, I'm not going to lie, I'm getting chills just remembering this. And, and remembering, y'all know, if y'all know her story, you know what I'm trying to say here. She says, sometimes God sends your Judases in your life for a reason. And I know we've been doing relationship series for a while, so I know many of y'all are fatiguing. But I'm not going to hit that portion that hard because we did that last week. But what I want to hit is the response, the, the things that is missing in the Christian church, the thing that is missing in Christianity, the thing that is missing in all of us is that when we experience our Judas, what do you do? So let's get there today. If you don't mind, I'm going to start with the word of prayer. But now I pray that your hearts are ready now that I've set hopefully the preface and hopefully your hearts. Dearly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity for us to be here today because we're only here by your grace. There is nothing that we have done that warrants your grace, but then your grace is sufficient. And it has covered us. It has, it has sustained us. It has kept us. It has brought us a mighty long way. So even as we sit in these comfortable chairs here at Living Word Fellowship Church or at home, just I hope that our hearts are ready to receive your word, not based on my rhetoric, not based on the sermon, but based because we are so grateful for life. That you loved us enough to die for us, that is enough for us to be attentive to your word. It is powerful all by itself, so therefore I'm not asking for it to be powerful. I could just read it and we should all be impacted. But, I, but I'm thankful that you have chosen a broken vessel like myself, so God bless me. I need you. We need you in order to not only hear the word, but to take it home with us. God, this sermon is going to be hard for many, even though if we don't want to admit it. Because I know I have failed in this area of how to treat my Judases. God, we love you. We thank you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to sound real bougie for one second. For those who don't know what bougie man, I, I, I'm going to explain. I'm going to sound real uppity for one second. Just one. I took my wife out. The STEMI hit. I took my wife out. I got three kids, so the STEMI was good. I looked at every kid, I was like, now y'all paying for yourself. Um, <laughs> get, my, get my investment back. Uh, no, I'm teasing. I'm sorry. But I decided to take my wife out to eat um, because I'm, they, my kids are finally paying for dinner. So uh, I didn't take them. Y'all paying. So I went to this restaurant called Grace's, and it, it was good. It's really good, actually. And we went there, and I, I've been there before, but I went on a lunch meeting, and she, she went on a, with, with some friends, and I was like, it's time for us to go together. So we went. And I, when, I, when I turned right into Grace's, 
I saw my friend, and I was like, I haven't seen you since high school almost, kind of off and on, on Facebook, et cetera. He's crossing the street. He looked like he was dressed up in some, like, management material. And I stopped my program, and I said, bro, what's good? How are you? He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm finna go eat at Grace. He's like, oh, man, you gonna eat there? Oh, okay, I'll take care of that. He said, come over and see me. He was working at Carino's across the street. They're the same company. I said, well, I'll come see you, no problem. When I look in my rear view, when I pass, he, he runs right back across the street. So immediately you get a little excited. He runs back across the street. And, and then all of a sudden, I, we, we finally get our table and we sit down. And then Johnny Carino IV actually walks to our table. So he walks in, you know you're rich when everybody else is dressed up and you're walking in golf gear. That's when you know you're rich. <laughs> I'm all, I have like a blazer on. This man walked up in golf gear with a Titleist hat talking about, what's up, man? Y'all good? But he started talking to us like we were somebody. We, look, guys, this is where the bougie stops. I'm nobody. Nobody knows who I am. And he walks to our table and all them people that look richer than me was like looking at us like, who is that? I'm trying to hold this joke back, but I'm not. I'm pretty sure some of them were like, he looks too short to be a basketball player. <laughs> His wife is pretty, though. Um, he start, he's all like two, three minutes just talking to us for no reason. And he was like, I heard so many great things about you. First, that's a lie, but let's keep it going. <laughs> then I started realizing he didn't care who we were. It's his restaurant. He can, he can talk to whoever he chooses and everybody's going to be impressed. I, he, it doesn't matter if I have no value. He's the value. So then I started thinking, why are we so concerned who walks in our restaurants in life? Even if they have no value, they're supposed to be there because God put them there. So you should talk to them in confidence. You should not have to worry about how to set up your boundaries. You should not have to worry about how to keep yourself clean. You shouldn't put them in the corner of the restaurant. The enemies in your life belong in your restaurant. The people that have no value belong in your restaurant because God put them there. They have reservations in your life. The problem with many of us is that when we look at the reservation list, we're trying to kick people out of our restaurant. God's like, wait a second. I let them call for a reason. So walk to their table, talk to them, enjoy their company, and even say things that really don't matter because at the end of the day, it's your restaurant. Today, I want to walk you through people that are sitting in your restaurant, and my prayer, your response is similar. I'm not just talking about talking to them today. I'm going to walk you through Judas, but not just how you've heard the story, not just the end where he kisses them. Let me tell you how long this betrayal has been taking place. Let me walk you through some of us in this sanctuary right now. Some of us have been experienced betrayal. Your kids, your husband, your wife, your family, the people at your job, you've been betrayed before, but some of us haven't handled it well. Some of us said they deserve it. Some of us think it's something that the devil is doing. And guess what? You might be right. Oh, I'm going to prove that today. Some of us are like, oh, Satan, Satan, Satan. I'm like, well, yeah, today you might be right. But that don't change who God is. And let's move. Watching John chapter 12. You're going to be there with me in John chapter 12. I want you to turn and let's, let's walk through it. In John chapter 12, you're going to, we're going to jump through today. And I know that's not my normal thing, but just bear with me. I'm going to try to stay in my pericope just for you to keep it simple. But I am going to jump just one time. But in John chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 4. In John chapter 12, verse 4 said, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples. Now, now catch this for a second. It says, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples. Did he take off the personal pronoun? That's the first point I want you to understand is that that was planned. Because it was his disciple. All everybody else in this sanctuary is looking for somebody to betray that you don't like. But oftentimes we're hurt by the people who love us the most or say they love us the most. It's the wife. It's the husband. It's the, it's the significant other. It's the one you're dating that betrays you. It's the things you find on their phones that hurt you. It's the things that many of us have been through that you're like, hmm, it couldn't be one of mine. But guess what? It often is your 
family, his disciples. But let me define disciple for you. It is somebody who follows your pedagogy. It is somebody who follows your teaching. It is somebody who what? Was supposed to follow after you and imitate you. So what happens when somebody who's supposed to imitate you ends up betraying you? What happens is the one you slept with, though not not that way, the one who slept in the same room as you. Like you gotta be careful in the church. Um, <laughs> I knew it. No. The one who slept in the same room as you, the one who heard all of your sermons, your teachings, the one that has heard you and seen you do miracles, the one that had to know, we're going to talk about that later, that something was different about this Jesus, one of his. So it's the kids that you thought you raised right are the ones who obviously have your Kirk moments. Some of us been there, so we can't judge nobody. Some of us have experienced that pain when your kid says some things that you don't like. Some of us have went to our Kirkish stuff. Why? You feel what? Betrayed because that was one of yours. So today I'm talking about your church hurt, the pain that you've experienced at Living Word Fellowship Church, the reason why you don't serve, the reason why you don't like coming here and you sit in the back and you leave as soon as you can. Why? Because the one that you thought was yours end up gossiping about you slandering you. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot. Now, I want to prove something a little bit further, just for your own education. Can I do that for you? Turn to John chapter 6. That's the only time we're going to jump. You're going to go to a deep in the verses. It's going to be in verse 64. And I'm going to prove how long Jesus had known, watch these words, he knew it. It says this right here in John chapter 6, verse 64. It says, but some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew the beginning, who they were, who did not believe, and who it was, who it was that would betray him. How long he known this? He been knowing. I'm going to keep going. Verse 70, Jesus answered them and said, did I not self, did not myself not choose you? The 12 and yet one of you is a devil. See, I don't even need to preach that. But Jesus, I hate to sound a little hood right here, been new. We don't, ever, we don't ever just say Jesus knew. We were like, Jesus been new. <laughs> Jesus knew already that one of them was a devil. Here's the difference between me and you. Many of us waste our time trying to figure out who the devil is in your life. That's Jesus, fully God, fully man. He already knew. You got to stop wasting your time because guess who still knows who the devil is in your life? Stop wasting your time trying to put people through investigative tricks and strategies. Some of us are giving test out trials, test runs. Jesus already knows and he wants them there. Some of us are kicking people out that belong. I'll hear that again. Some of us are kicking people out of our life that actually belong there. You're missing your opportunity is what you're doing. Nah. Oh, because those Judases belong there for a reason. Because if he knew it in John chapter 6, and then we get to John chapter 12, that means he was a part of the plan. Because Jesus should have kicked them out along with the other disciples that faded away because there was plenty more. He said, but I did I not choose you? So when I look at your life right now real quick, and you have people that you think, you got away from, you distanced yourself from, the people that you think don't deserve to be there that you kicked out because they have given you too many problems in your life, I want you to start saying, God, did you choose them? Because if he chose them, he wanted them there. Some of us have denied our growth because we have kicked people out that were supposed to cause it. Uh Uh-uh. 
So I'm going to say it again. Some of us have denied our growth because we have kicked people out that belong there. Oh, let me do it again for you, but let me add a little tidbit. Some of us have skipped our growth because we have ignored problems that people brought that were supposed to be there. So even though we allow people to be there, we don't want their problems and we don't talk about it no more. Y'all ain't going to hear me today. But it keeps going. Because this is not the end, because he knew since he'd been new since chapter 6. We get back to chapter 12, and he's saying, hey, I understand who you are. And then he started showing some symptoms, y'all. Judas, Judas wasn't slick, but he wasn't slick to Jesus. Watch this for a second. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, was intending to betray. That means he already had in his mind he was going to betray Jesus. See, but here's the kicker, y'all. The Bible says we can't judge people. Do you understand what judging means? Okay, bear with me. This is going to help. Judging means you can't give condemnation or you can't give the punishment for what people deserve. Number one, that's the first connotation. That means when you come to somebody and you say, you're going to hell, you can't do that. Or you can't tell somebody what they deserve. That's number one. Second connotation is really quick. You don't know the intentions and the meditations of somebody's heart. So when you say, I already knew what you were going to do, you was a liar because nobody knows what somebody's going to do. The reason why some people's marriages continue to fail is because you keep saying, I already know what you're going to do. You cannot tell somebody what they're going to do. Now, their history may give you a hint. But the reason why some of our marriages are still stuck in the past because you keep making them go back there. But you have to allow people to give their own intentions out. You can only judge their fruit. That's the only thing that you can see. It's the only thing that you can judge. So when he says the word intentions, Jesus is the only one who knew what he was fixing to do. So how about this, y'all? Stop. Stop. Stop doing the I know what you're going to do speech. I knew you would do that. You're not Jesus. Stop. How about you live a little? And then let God take care of your betrayals. We're too busy trying to figure out what people's intentions are. But have you noticed the rest of the story? If John chapter 6, this man continued to live with Judas and continue to walk with Judas and continue to allow Judas to walk with him. But not only on top of that, guess what we find out in the next verse? He was letting him handle the purse. Letting him handle the purse. He knew what Judas was. And watch this. He knew what he intended to do and still gave him the leverage to do so. Oh, man. We're too busy using our power and our platform to remove the leverage. And I'm saying let people live with the leverage they have. What do you gain? Many of us have wasted our mental capacity, our time, our, 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 we stay up at night trying to figure out people's intentions. We can't rest. We, we having dreams about people that we hate. We're doing all this stuff just trying to figure out how bad people are. Guess what? People are bad. Sleep well tonight. I just answered all your problems. They bad. And God is good. See, y'all missed that second part. Because, gosh, watch, watch, watch the next verse. Watch the next verse. He says this. He says, it says, Judas Garrett was going, intending to betray him. Why was this perfume not sold? If you don't know the story, is that they were going to, they, they said, hey, Mary anointed his feet with perfume. Judas, in his greedy self, said, hey, why didn't we sell this? But watch these words. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This man was literally playing games. Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but he, because he was a thief and he had money box. He used to pilfer what was put into it. Now pay attention. He already showing symptoms, y'all. Y'all got friends in your life, family in your life that are already showing symptoms of who they are. I get it. And I know you're like, Pierre, I, I love the way this sermon's going. You're going to tell me if I see what they're doing, I can kick them out now, right? Uh Uh-uh, watch the rest of the story. We ain't got there yet, but watch what he was saying. Here's the thing you got to remember. When they wrote the book, they wrote it, they wrote, John wrote this in what? Backdating. Meaning he he experienced it and then he wrote it. So he experienced the betrayal and then he wrote it. So watch how negative they write Judas in. You notice that? He's saying, 
This man was never concerned about that. Because now we know he was a betrayer anyways. John is not writing from the moment, meaning he's not writing because he knew it. He's writing now because he recognized that that man was a betrayer the whole time. The only person who did know it, who inspired the text, was Jesus himself. This man was saying, hey, how come we don't sell it so we can give to the poor? John wrote, this man was never concerned about the poor. I want you all to get the story because if you get the story, you recognize there's people in your life that are showing symptoms all over your life. If I can set you up, you're going to start to realize this, this story means a lot more when I can finish the story. But don't, don't tune out yet. I want you to understand this. The second thing I want you to get is real quick is that he was never intending to do anything. His intentions were never pure. There's people in your life right now that intentions aren't pure. Their purpose for your life is not pure. The reason why they're in your life is not pure. I know that. We know that. Go to bed and rest. You don't have to worry because the, ne- the rest of the part of the story is that sooner or later, they will expose themselves. But before we get there, go to John chapter 13. Oh, I'm going to get there. John chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 2. In John th- chapter 13, we're at the Lord's Supper right now. That means right before his death, he's at the Lord's Supper. Just what we just did. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Let me break this down for you, because a lot of y'all are like, look, when I saw my cousin, I knew it was the devil. (laughs) So, there's two options for this, and I put up three. There's two options for this, and I want you to get it. There's a genitive and there's a nominative. Don't worry about that. That's not important because I, what I want to do is give you the two interpretations. One, if it is a genitive, which, which I'm not going to settle on, if it's a genitive saying the word put, if it's in the genitive form, that means what? I'm just going to give it to you. It means this, that the devil was the one that, let me say it like this, Judas was already going to do what he was going to do and that it was satanic that the fact that he will betray God. So meaning the description of Satan was only to describe Judas's betrayal. Hmm. That's why I'm not settling there. Because it said the Satan put it in his heart. So when we say Satan put it in his heart, the nominative means that what? That Judas had the, the heart to do it. Satan just put it in front of him and inspired the act. Oh, you see why it's important to do your study. So now that I'm digging deep here, it means that some people in your life, their heart is already wicked. So Judas was already what? He was already a thief. We knew that. He already had a greedy part about him. We knew that. So since Satan already knows what the symptoms of your heart is because you've been showing it since you've been a thief since chapter 12, I already know I can put something in front of you and see if you can see if you'll fall for it. So Satan... Oftentimes we say, Satan did it. No, you did it. We did it. He may put something in front of you that inspires your act, though. See, Jesus can't tempt us. God can't tempt us, but Satan definitely will. So if you keep showing symptoms, ladies and gentlemen, of who you really are, he'll put something in front of you to see if you'll fall for it. I, I, there's certain people, I'm not going to say gen, uh, gender or a person or whatever, is that we, we keep blaming people. And then, then if we, that runs out of excuses, then we blame Satan. What we really need to start looking at is our own heart. Satan can't put your hand to the fire, but he can put a, pot, a fire in front of you. Remember that. So Judas... Yeah, he was jacked up all along. Satan just gave him an opportunity. But here is the beauty of the story. Have once did you see Jesus intervene yet? Remember, this is the Lord's Supper. You would think that right now Jesus would be doing what? Hey, Satan, chill. I need to have a Lord's Supper. This, I'm fixing to die. This is my last time with these disciples. Jesus knew it. Can I say something to you real quick? God knows what Satan is doing. And Satan thinks his strategy is working. Right? 
Here's the crazy part of the story if you look backwards. The crazy part of the story is that Satan actually thought he was doing something. He thinks, I'm fixing to get Jesus using Judas. God, in his omniscience, is saying, you're using exactly the person I wanted you to use because my strategy has always been better than yours. Now let's apply that to your life, my life. So you've been trying to get Satan out of your life through people. You've been trying to sit there and say, well, I know Satan's using this person, this person, this person. And God's saying, why are you stressing? My strategy's always been bigger. I know exactly why they're there. Because if Judas wasn't there, there's no betrayal. So, ladies and gentlemen, if your Judas isn't there, no matter if it's inspired by Satan or not, there's no growth for you. Satan thinks he's winning every single time. But if, watch these words, I'm going to say it nicely. If you're obedient. See, Satan wins when you lack obedience. Because then you start to have your moments. You start to tell them how you really feel. You start to put in your strategy now because you're like, hey, God, your strategy of peace and all these things, Pierre Priest Sunday, ain't working. They finna get my strategy. <laughs> that is when you fail. I fail. That is when God's purposes are no longer higher than Satan's plan. But remember this, if you stay in God's purpose, it's always bigger than Satan's plan. Because watch what happens next. This is not the first reference to Satan himself. He goes and says, We're already, we did it right here. It says, David said already put in his heart. And Jesus already knew, because watch this next verse. Jesus knowing. Ladies and gentlemen, let me stop. And I'm going to say it as lovingly as possible. Jesus knows. And you're okay. I'm going to say this again. Some of us need to hear that so we can go to sleep and stop being anxious and stop being depressed and stop going through all these moments. Jesus knows. And he and you are okay. He knows where Satan's at. He knows that he is a roaring lion. He knows that he wants to devour you. He knows that he's trying to take advantage of you. The only thing you could do is enjoy the supper. Enjoy the Lord's Supper because at the end of the day, he planned the supper on purpose. They didn't plan that. That, that wasn't the disciples' plan. They sat him down on purpose. And guess who was at the table? Judas himself. Let's get a little deeper as we move a little faster. In verse 10, we're going to pick it back up in the same story, in the same chapter. And it says this, Jesus said to them, it's right before he washes their feet, we'll get there. Jesus says to them, he who has bathed needs only water to wash his feet, but it's completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Ooh. I'm going to read that again. It gets confusing. He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. And you're like, well, Pierre, let's start with the bathing part. Some people believe he was referring to baptism, that you only need to be baptized once. But the only reason he was referring to his feet was saying what? That you need to continually ask for God to wash away your sins after you've come into salvation. So I've bathed you one time. I have taken care of your salvation. Okay? So the people often, the reference to their salvation, even if they haven't been baptized, is what? They've been walking with Jesus. They put their faith in Jesus. That means they are now clean ritually because they are now saved by Jesus who will die in a few minutes or in a few days. Are y'all with me? So he's saying, y'all will be clean because I'm going to baptize you. But don't forget, you gotta, always got to wash your feet. So just for your own sidestep sermon. 
Just because God has died for all of your sins and you've been washed clean all the way doesn't mean you don't ask for forgiveness. He's saying you still got to wash your feet. They're dirty. Many of us sinned before we walked in this sanctuary. They're dirty. You got to wash those. But what I did for you is permanent. But then he uses the word clean. Clean goes back to the Old Testament. Ah, The Old Testament, the word for clean was a ritual sacrifice where you were clean. Then he goes to the New Testament. He says, well, I am your sacrifice. So now you are what? Clean. And that's where it leads into Judas because something was different about Judas that was different about who? The rest of the disciples. Some of you are clean, but not all of you. So watch this word. It said, according to the gospel, disciples are clean because of their life association with Jesus, which we covered. After salvation, all the need is confession of sin, which we covered. But watch what it says. It's consistent of the New Testament, unreserved for self-offering to God. But watch this. Then he renews your heart through Jesus. He cleans you. But there was one who, although had association with Jesus, didn't believe. His name was Judas. Y'all are clean because your association means your faith. But there's also people who are living today who have association with no faith. So I know this is, I'm never going to skip over an opportunity to share the gospel, but today you're going to get it. I'm not going to assume that everyone in this sanctuary doesn't have association without faith. That some of us are the Judas. We're sitting at the table with Jesus. We follow his pedagogy. We follow his teaching, but we have no faith. Bear with me. The only way you can have the cleansing is through his blood. You have to believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose three days later. If you believe those things and know that you are a sinner in need of cleansing, you are saved permanently. But you can follow the pedagogy. You can even see the miracles that Jesus does on this earth today because he's not done in the miracle working business. You can even see the church and experience the church. You can come to church all day long. But that doesn't mean you're not a Judas. He says, some of you are clean. But some of you are not. But then he does something that this is, this is where the sermon hangs itself. Because this, y'all were like, well, Pierre, the sermon, I love it, man. You, you preaching my sermon today. Uh, I loved it. But watch what he says. So when, so when, so when, I'm going to read it one more time so you can get it. Not all of you. For he knew that one who was betraying him, for this reason he said, not all of you are clean. Are you got me? We're on the same page. So when he had washed their Ah, you see, y'all, that's the amen part. Nobody likes this part. All of us are good for the fact that I said, hey, there's an enemy in your midst. Amen. All of y'all are good when I said, hey, that enemy shows bad intentions. Amen. And all their symptoms are showing. Amen. Oh, man, there's a devil inside of them. Amen. (laughs) Now wash their feet. While we're at the restaurant, he came. Nothing. Okay, so let me explain something. We sat down. Nothing was happening. We talked to the guy. I thought that's what my friend went to the store for, whatever. I thought he got us a good table, et cetera. But then all of a sudden, they bring calamari to the table. Fried calamari is good. Whew. Over my budget, calamari. It was real. It has a nice sauce on it. But they brought it, and I said, hey, sir, that's not ours. <laughs> <laughs> the way my budget's set up, <laughs> we don't get appetizers, stimmy or not. <laughs> so the lady walks away because it wasn't our waiter. You know, sometimes they have somebody bring their food since they're busy. She walks away and then she comes back. The waiter comes back with the same plate. And he says, no, 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 no. This is yours. Johnny told me to comp it. This is Jesus. Since I own the restaurant, 
I'm going to include this appetizer for you. I'm going to go ahead and wash your feet, even though I know you have no value. Ladies and gentlemen, you got people at your table that don't deserve to be there. That doesn't mean they don't deserve to eat. My point to many of us in this room, if you know God is in control, if you know that he is still the one that put him at your table, it's okay to serve him some food because at the end of the day, my God is still in control. Let the waiter bring some food to the table, even if they just look like some regulars. Watch what he says next. So when he had washed their feet. I don't want to be too dramatic, but I want to at least experience, I want you to visualize what washing feet really look like. Now, I got shoes on, and I got, I got some nice socks, I think. You would wash my feet. It may have a distinct smell of leather, but it's not that bad. <laughs> These people was walking around on dirt roads with leather sandals, leather bottoms on the sandals, meaning it ain't the leather smell no more. That's sweat and leather mixed together. No socks. But then you got to envision Jesus. Full of dirt. They said he had to take off his tunic. Then he gets on a knee. See, before that, where was he? He was reclining at the table. This is family. But then he goes from, let me recline at the table to a knee. When he gets on a knee, he has to unwrap what his clothes were. He didn't go. He, he takes it down, gets a basin of water, and he starts to wash. But then he didn't do if, if, if it were me, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm just throwing it at your feet, letting it just drip off. <laughs> You don't want that splashback, right? You're like, ah. But not my Jesus. He begins to wipe the very feet of the betrayer. All the dirt. And guess what? Guess who needed the cleansing the most? It was Judas himself. For washing his feet. The dirt, the leather, the smell. All of that, my Jesus, your Jesus, the one who came from heaven in his heavenly throne, the one who took away his glory and came to earth, got on his knees and washed the betrayer's feet. You're not catching what I'm saying. All of us are worried about how to kick the betrayer out of our life, but our Jesus washed his feet. You got to understand that our Jesus came from a heavenly throne and washed somebody that don't deserve it. When is the last time you washed? Your enemy's feet, not your friend, not your homie, not your husband. I'm talking about the one that you don't deserve to be in your life. You go down on your knees. You know what that means? That he humbled himself to a servant's position. Because servants washed feet. They had to humble themselves every time somebody came in the house and washed their feet so they could recline at the table. But that's the beauty of washing their feet. They washed their feet so they could recline at the table. Oh, you're missing it. My Jesus washed his feet so he could stay at the table. We're too busy kicking people out the table. People say, I'm lonely. You're lonely because you're kicking people out that belong there. Oh, wash their feet. That's where God wanted them at the table. He needed to see the Lord's Supper. See, I just want you to gas this, man. I want you to have this sermon because we have stopped serving people. We only serve people who deserve it. We only serve people who have earned their way to it. We only let people in our life that somehow have worked their way into the valuable people in your life. And I'm saying change your favorites list to include your enemies. If my Jesus can wash Pierre's feet, then who are we not to wash our enemies? If my Jesus can see Pierre and his struggles and still say, I want to wash them. Who are you? 
See, see, the, the sermon is, this is the crux of the sermon is that many of us are cool with saying we have enemies. We're just not cool with associating with them. Washing feet means to adopt a humble model that Jesus did. It, cre- it, 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 it makes you have humility. Something about getting on your knees creates humility. When you do that big sin, how many of you have hit your knees before? Everybody's hit their knees on that begging sin. You know what I'm talking about. Because you're humble now. You know you don't deserve to stand in the presence. And we don't mind doing that when it's God and we're the one in problems. We just don't like when people are the problem and then we hit our knees. Therefore, therefore, a servant follower of Jesus should realize that washing of the feet is not merely of the, just involving the water in the towel, but it's your actions that matter. We got to stop putting the water in the towel by their feet and saying, please wash your feet, they stink. We need to start getting on our knees and actually doing the work. Have you ever thought through that relationships won't be fixed unless you start washing first? It's often the bigger person. Aren't you tired of being the bigger person? I know you're tired of it. You're always the one who has to chase. You're always the one who has to be the one who loves them more than they love you. And you're tired of it and you're fatigued and I'm telling you to do it again. That oftentimes it's the bigger person who has to hit their knees even if you're not the one who's wrong. So here's the thing. Many of us wait to hit our knees when we're wrong. Jesus didn't wait for that because he was perfect. He hit his knees when he was perfect. See, see, see that, that's, the, that's the difference. Y'all, y'all, y'all just got to get the beauty of the story. He hit his knees in perfection. Husbands, wash your wife's feet even in her problems. Wives, wash your husband's feet even in his problems. You don't wait for them to make the biggest mistake and then they hit their knees so you can throw and show them how humble they should be. See, it's the reverse for God. It's in his perfection. He lowers lowers himself. Just look at Philippians chapter 2. He lowered himself even to the point of death on the point on the cross. But can I just finish the story before I run out of time? I just, you had to hear that one. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If, for, if I then, the Lord and the teacher, Lord meaning master, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you the example that you also should do as I did to you. Have you noticed one thing about this last couple verses? That's a command. You know in the early church they used to still wash people's feet? It was, was kind of like communion. They used to do it as a part of. Because they took that serious, the command of feet washing. So you can say, well, Pierre, how come we don't do it? And I understand that. But at least what we should be doing, even if you're saying, Pierre, I'm not washing nobody's feet. I heard COVID comes from the toenails. Stop. (laughs) You should be serving somebody from the most humble position. Even in your fatigue. But watch these last couple things I'm fixing to say. His sacrifice was right, his service was right before his sacrifice. And watch this. It connects to his sacrifice because he's saying, I'm going to make myself low. You're fixing to see it even lower. You think this is service? Watch me sacrifice everything. So if you really want a real feet washing, it's the fact that he died so you can have cleansing of your sins every single day. That's the cleansing. So if Jesus can do that for the worst of us, who are you not to wash somebody else's feet? Stop holding their dirt above their heads. Pray for their forgiveness. Pray for their repentance. And watch these last couple words. 
serve your enemies. I'm going to say it again because you've got to end on this point. Serve your enemies. I've got to conclude like this. Judas does what Satan put in his heart. Yep. He goes and he betrays him. You know he sold him for some shekels, right? Jesus, value, shekels. Not Jesus, millionaire, when I left. Shekels. But people often miss the end of the story. He meets him in the garden. He, something, in one of the gospels it says he kissed him. Now, can I just say this? If you knew, would you let somebody kiss you? No. Your lips will be messed with a fist like that, that, that. He still lets him what? Fulfill the purpose in which he was put there to do. Even to the point of death. Now, that's not the point I want you to get. But if you go a little further, we're not going to go there. Let me finish the story of Judas. In John 27, 3 through 5, in Acts 1, 18 through 20, he said he regretted it so much, he wept bitterly and hung himself. Now, be careful what I'm fixing to say. I'm not saying that we should pray for anyone to experience death. But Jesus' purity, even in the midst of a betrayer, what's I'm finna say? made them regret their actions. Oh, stay with me. This is the last thing I'm going to say. Many times we want people to regret what they did. So we do regretful actions. So both of us have to live with regret. But what happens and what we should do is live with the purposes of God in our obedience and in our purity. So the only person who has to live with regret is the one who offended. We're too busy trying to get vengeance, Romans chapter 12, but vengeance is the Lord's, your obedience is his. So don't worry about your betrayer. Wash their feet because at the end of the day, if you do it in purity, they'll have to live with that. But if you respond, you'll have to live with that. Two disobedience and two sins don't make it right. But your obedience makes it right. Even if it's for your own heart. So when you leave this sanctuary, I challenge you to go wash your betrayer's feet. We left the restaurant. No, we're still there. I just finished eating some Creole chicken. Monica got some, I don't know, she always gets fancy stuff. Listen, had meat on it. I don't know. And uh, the waiter comes back and I said, hey, bro, can I get the ticket? He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He comes back and he says, hey, man, Johnny wanted to comp your whole meal. <laughs> People are like, why is Pierre preaching with so much energy? I got comped a whole meal, y'all. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> All right. So he comes back. The waiter's like, hey, man, meal's on Johnny. He just said he wants y'all to enjoy y'all's night. I said, well, wow. Monica said something totally different. Monica got a little bit of hood in her. She was like, if I would have known, I would have ordered the most expensive thing on the menu. <laughs> Lord, who did I marry? <laughs> now I'm teasing. But then I started thinking, he don't care. He got plenty more meals in the, in the kitchen. Then I started thinking about Jesus. Sitting at the table with Judas. And then washing his feet. And he says, I got another one. I can comp this meal all day. But he wasn't worried too much about Judas, was he? Because he's fixing to pay the price for the whole entire world. See, y'all thought the appetizer was good. That's not the beginning. That's the beginning of the story. 
But our Jesus used Judas so you can be in church today. He comped the whole meal for me and for you so that you can enjoy without debt. So don't worry about washing your servant's feet, your betrayer's feet. Worry about Jesus who paid your meal. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we thank you. You're God. Hmm. There's so many people, I wonder if hopefully people went through their minds of like, I got I to gotta go wash. My prayer is that this sermon sparks a washing at Living Word Fellowship Church, that there's, the, the pride has been removed from us. We're, we're now willing to go wash. So for the people that feel betrayed, whether it's the people in the inner circle, that the people they thought never would betray them, I pray that we leave not expecting them to apologize, but for us to wash. I pray that we are the leaders. We're, we're the Jesus followers. We're the ones who are true disciples. We're the ones who are clean, but not all of us. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, this is between you and God. If you know that you have not set the example, you're good at knowing your enemies, or at least thinking you do. You've put some people on the back burner, pushed them to the side. You have said, I'll deal with you later. You'll deal with problems later. But you're saying, today I want to change it from my dismissiveness to my action steps. If that's you today, you don't have to come to the front, but if you want to, the altar is open and it's spaced. But you also have the option just to stand before God and say, God, I want to change my service. My heart has to change the way I treat people has to change. The way I treat the people I don't like are, let me use the word correctly, the people I hate, the people that have stabbed me, the inner circle that has betrayed me. I want to let you know today I'm a washed feet. So it says, so when he washed their feet, your verse in your head you leave with says, so when I go wash their feet. So while Chris sings and you pray, if you feel led to stand.